You're so worthy of all the glory, the honor, the praise. And as we think back over our lives, help us to see the tangible, the concrete, the clear evidence of your faithfulness across us and even the generations before. Because you are a living God, active and working always in love, bringing about your way, your life into each of us. So, Lord, in this moment, we just rest upon your promises. We stand here knowing that if we are in Christ, we are secure. There is nothing more to do to earn your love. There is nothing that I can do to make you stop loving me. Because that's just who you are. And we know that where I fall short and where we all fall short, God, man, you still never fail us. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And as you remind us of each of these things, may it just be like healing to each of our minds and our hearts. God, that we can come here and as we declare your praise, we can also receive your love be equipped for all that is that you call us to do for the rest of the week. But we worship you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Thank you that you are here and that you are speaking. And that there are people in here I know now who are going through some really hard times right now and that you are affirming to them, even right now, that you see them. And that if you haven't failed them before, you're not going to fail them now. That what is different about today than yesterday, you haven't changed. You're the same rock we've always stood on. And so we love you. We praise you. Open up our hearts and our minds to your word. We are here to receive from you and declare your praise. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. Man, what a powerful song. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, thank you. Oh, man, well, good morning, everybody. Again, how's everybody's summer going? Yeah? We've got a couple people having a good summer. Everybody else? Good one? Yeah, good. Good, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right. Well, man, we are, um, I'm so thankful. Guys, I, we have such an amazing tech crew. I'm, I'm serious. Like, they get it done. They get, they get it done. We, technology is uh, not always predictable, to say the least. So um, thank you so much for all of you guys back there making it work. Um, and as we're, we're going to dive in again this week, um, in, back into the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. But before I, I get in, man, it's not always easy being a follower of Christ, is it? But just the fact of putting the word easy and following Christ in the same sentence might make guys like the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, confused. <laughs> because Paul, I, like, there are few people in history of this world who are as sold out 
as the Apostle Paul, joyfully all in for Jesus. Yet this man endured, endured imprisonment, beating, shipwreck, rejection, poverty, and more. Easy? Like few men followed Christ like Paul did, and few people suffered quite like he did. And this summer, we're exploring this letter called Ephesians. Because Paul wrote it, wrote it to this, this brand new community of Christ followers in this ancient city of Ephesus. But even when he wrote the letter, he was in chains, chained to another Roman guard in Rome. And I'm guessing that for this fledgling new community of Christ followers in Ephesus to see their leader, Paul, to at least to know that he's in, arrested, like that's kind of confusing, if not discouraging. Because when Paul was in Ephesus, when they experienced the undeniable power of God through him, that when Paul came in, he spoke with divine authority. And and they, they witnessed the power of God through him. As he told them, he says, listen, because of what Christ has done, the dividing wall between you and God has been broken down by faith in him. Not only that, but the wall between Jews and Gentiles has been broken down as well, so that no matter your ethnicity or tribe, all people are invited into God's family through faith. And many in Ephesus believed, and the church there was born. You read all about that in Acts 19. Now, was there opposition? Yeah. You betcha, right? Like the, the, the Romans looked at all this quite suspiciously. Many Jews treated them like heretics. Uh, but because they saw God moving in a powerful way, I mean, it's like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Acts 19 says that even sorcerers gave up their dark magic to follow Jesus. Like God was moving in their city. And if God was for them, who could be against them? But it wouldn't have been too long after Paul left Ephesus that at some point the church there would have gotten word that he had been arrested in Jerusalem. And then in chains escorted to Rome. There was a shipwreck there too, right? Like he didn't have an easy road. And if you're a brand new Christian, you're thinking, man, what does all this mean? Like, if God is for us, then why would he let this happen? And if it happened to somebody like Paul, is that kind of stuff going to happen to me too? And all of a sudden, you start to hear how some of the doubt and fear begin to creep in. And when doubt and fear mix, they make this venomous cocktail called defeat. Thus, in this letter, Paul is speaking the reality of who Jesus is right to the potential discouragement they are facing. And with chains on his wrists, he speaks. His words overflow with freedom and confidence. And as followers of Christ now in the 21st century America, man, it's not, it's not always easy for us to follow Christ here either, is it? Either, is it? Right? I mean, like, here, if, if you are publicly committed to Jesus, and people know that, sometimes we're judged as ignorant. And that, that hurts. That doesn't actually feel good. And as the larger cultural voices and forces oppose God's work, it can stoke a little fear in us. And when we see other Christians waver, fall back into sin, or just leave Christ entirely, I mean, it's tempting to feel a little defeated. 
And instead of freedom and confidence, a little doubt and fear start to creep in. If God is for us, where is he? Has anybody ever felt like that before? Maybe it's just me. But sometimes when that begins to happen, that fire of faith within us begins to die down. And when that fire of faith begins to die down, the light goes down too. And we can't quite see God as clearly as we could before. And then we start taking steps back and trying to just keep our faith to ourselves, you know, because, because no one really needs to know that. And, but that started, we're starting to act like a defeated church. But when the feelings of defeat begin to loom over us, what words does Paul give us to reignite our confidence and our faith in him? And that's why we're turning to Ephesians 3, 1 to 13 today, together. And I want us to hear these words fully, or as fully as we can. So I've asked Frank Sylvester to come on up, um, and he's going to read the words of, of Ephesians um, two times for us. Not just once, but twice. If you remember last week, um, we, we read it twice as well. Because what we're trying to do is just, instead of just zooming past the Scripture passage, we want to slow down and actually take it in and hear it. And after last week, several of you said man, how much you appreciated the opportunity to act, not just hear it once, but twice. And so as he's about to read it, what we are asking God is, God, give us your ears to hear this passage. And as he reads it, pay attention to what is almost highlighted for you. What seems to jump off the page for you. If you want to follow with us, um, it, we're on page 948 of the Blue Bibles in front of you. It'll also be on the screens or you can just listen. Whatever helps you focus best. But as he reads it this first time, we're going to say, God, give us your ears to hear your word. So Frank, go ahead and read it for us. Ephesians 3. God's marvelous plan for the Gentiles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known 
to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Amen. Now, if you read that, heard that the first time and had certain questions pop up in your mind, that's why we're reading it again. Or if maybe you zoned out for a second, that's okay. That's why we come back to it. Or if something stood out to you, we ask, God, why did that stand out to me just now? Was there something you're speaking to me in this? So, Lord, give us ears to hear your word again. Go ahead, Frank. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promised promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that is accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Lord, as we uh, unpack your word together, I pray that you, by your spirit, would open our hearts and minds so that we are prepared to hear whatever it is that your spirit wants to highlight for our lives for this moment. God, we know, uh, I, I know that there are people in here who are probably facing discouragement or feelings of defeat, maybe going through fear or doubt or feeling alone. Lord, I pray that you, by your word, by your power, would speak to them tangibly right now. Let them know that you see them, that you are with them. So may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For guys like the Apostle Paul who just wrote this letter, man, if he had written a letter to the church in Ephesus that was just a big pity party, honestly, I couldn't really blame him. Like, the dude had been through a lot. 
So much suffering had he been through. But instead, like he is chained, but what comes out in his words is evidence that his heart and his mind are free. That he's in physical bondage, but his words overflow with confidence that can only be from God. And he's writing this letter because he wants the same for us, doesn't he? That freedom, that confidence. So when we're tempted to grow weary, if we become weighed down by circumstances around us, what does he remind us? If we're going through something right now and you're wondering if God doesn't even see you, what does he help us to see with the eyes of faith? First, Paul says, when it seems like we're alone, remember, Christ gave his life for his church. Acts 19, again, tells us that when Paul was in Ephesus, everything pretty much was up and to the right. Like ministry was good. Yeah, there was opposition, but people were coming to Christ. God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul among them. It seemed like nothing was impossible for God. Like you've ever had a time in your life where you just feel fully alive, right? Like, like your faith is vibrant. And it, like it, I imagine that's much of how they felt in this time. But after Paul left and they later got word that their, the, the, their pioneer, their leader, Paul had been arrested and taken in chains to Rome. I mean, would that not feel a bit like a sabotage to God's work? Yeah. Yeah. And was his arrest just the beginning of hard times for everybody? All of a sudden we started becoming a little bit afraid of the future. And, and man, when he was here, it was good. But was it perhaps too good to be true? Doubt and fear. And see, doubt and fear work together to persuade us that God is no longer with us. If God is really for us, and why does it seem like life is so hard? If this good news of Jesus were true, then why am I getting so much bad news? If God's Spirit dwells with us, then why do I feel so alone sometimes? But clearly Paul, with chains on his own wrists, sees all of this differently. And my question as I was digging into this, I was like, Paul, like, I, I don't know how you did it, man. I don't know how you could hold on to such faith and confidence given all that you went through. Because I don't know that I would have responded the way that he is in this letter. But as I began to dig into this, I realized that first, he realized that if Christ suffered in this world, then we as his followers aren't exempt from it either. I mean, Jesus even told his disciples or his apprentices who followed him around, he says, listen, you will have tribulation in this world. You will go through hard things, but take heart because that doesn't mean that you're defeated. Because in fact, he says, I have overcome the world. But I know like, when, when, we're, when we're used to living in a more affluent society or perhaps when we're new to our faith, like, it's easy to assume that if we're going through hard things that it must just be bad. And that God has somehow forgotten us or left us. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Man, if this world was opposed to me, and if his own path included a cross, then there will be seasons when we walk through difficulty too. 
So what does that mean? Does that mean that in those seasons we just are supposed to kind of just put on a face and, and say, he's on the throne, <laughs> praise God, <laughs> right? Well, no. It means that we recognize that what we're going through is hard, but we invite Christ into that. Because if he has gone through that, no one knows what suffering is like, like him. And he's going to walk with us through it so that we're never alone. But that we don't dismiss the pain, but we invite him to come and transform it. Because if our God came and died and rose again, don't you think that he can take seemingly impossible situations and bring his life within it? It may not be right away, but he wants to come and transform our pain and our suffering. But that realization for Paul led him to the second thing. That if Christ went to a cross to call us his own, then it's worth it to go through hard things to share Christ with others. <laughs> now, I read that statement, and I have to admit, like, I'm not always there. I, like, good for you, Paul, that you're like, man, the suffering of Christ is worth it. But I'm not, I'm not always feeling that. But I have to remember, Paul wasn't always there either. In fact, Paul was the opposite of there at one point. Because he wasn't the one receiving the suffering. That he was once known as Saul, the great persecutor of the church. He was causing suffering on Christians for a while until that blinding light met him on the road to Damascus and knocked him down. And there, as one who is temporarily blind, he said that in that moment, the mystery was made known to him. That is the mystery of who Christ was and what it is that Christ came to do. Now, don't get hung up too much on this word mystery. Because in, in English, we tend to think of mystery as like this dark, obscure secret that you can only find out if you go and solve it, right? Like, like Scooby-Doo, right? But, or we think of a mystery as, as something that we can never fully understand. We can never fully know. But the, the word Paul uses here for mystery means that it is something we can know, but it's not something we can discover. It's something that must, God must reveal to us. It's like presents hidden before Christmas, right? You don't know where they are. You don't know what you got until your excited father comes out with them. That's the kind of mystery that he's talking about here that's been revealed. And so there on that road to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus revealed to Paul. He said, man, the whole reason why I died on that cross and I rose again on the third day, which is the gospel, is to make a way not only for Jews, but for non-Jews, meaning Gentiles, so that there might be a multicolored, multiracial, multiethnic community who are all together heirs with Israel, members together of one body, sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus. Because Paul said generations before, he said well, what they knew from the Old Testament was that God had chosen a people for himself, the Israelites. And that they were to be his people, and it was going to be through them that God would bless the nations or the Gentiles of the world. They knew that, but they didn't really understand what that blessing meant. But the unfathomable gift of God 
especially for a once prejudiced Jew like Saul, was that through the cross, through the Israelite man, Messiah, Son of God, Jesus, a way would be made for all to belong to him by faith alone. And it's a gift of God. And it's a blessing of God that is by faith that Jews and Gentiles alike may come to be united as one people in Christ to be his church. And then I say this because if we know that God loves us this much to send his son to pay the penalty of our sin on a cross and then to rise again to give us new life, to call us his own, then we can be rest assured that we're never fully alone. Never. That he's always working in his church and through his church. And man, if he did that for us, then that means that we can step forward confidently and be who we are as followers of Christ wherever we are. Even if it means that people may treat us differently. They might even mock us at times. But knowing what he went through for us, and we know we're not alone. And when we realize that so many of us do feel alone, we also realize that man, when he bought it with his own blood, a community, a church, a people for himself, man, that means that like, we can be a source of encouragement to one another too, right? That when we come together in relationship, that we can be pictures of the presence of Jesus to each other. That when we're going through hard things, like, yeah, I, I can't fix you, right? You can't fix me. But we can be there for each other. And we know the one who does heal and bring about redemption from the midst of broken situations, don't we? We know we're never alone. And not only do we know that because of what Christ has done, but because we see it in one another. But I can imagine the Ephesians saying next, okay, Paul, like I get what you're saying, man. Bold, confident, gave your life for us. Man, I appreciate that. But Paul, we're not you. Like, Paul, I understand you believe these things and you're doing great things, but like, look at you, Paul. You're gifted. You're so persuasive. You're a powerhouse apostle for Jesus. Not me. I'm an ordinary person who struggles with things. I've got fears. I've got doubts. And sometimes the opposition does seem a little too big. How do I not get overwhelmed? That's why Paul, at least I pick up from his words here, that when we're weak or feel seemingly insignificant, remember, Christ empowers his church. So verse 7 the next point Paul makes clear is that the gospel wasn't revealed to him because of who he was, but it was a gift of grace. Grace means that God chose us despite our not-so-impressive track record. Right? Remember, Paul, his job before Jesus was to murder Christians. So if we want to compare ourselves to him, we're looking pretty good right now, aren't we? Yeah. But Paul said readily, he says, I'm not doing this by my own power. No, no, it's the working of God's power. In fact, he says, if you want to play the comparison game with me, he said next in verse 8, he said, I'm going to lose pretty quick. 
He says, because I'm the less than the least. He says, I'm the leastest. I don't think that's a word, is it? Yeah, that's not a word. Some of you went, ugh, that hurt. But that's the point, right? He said, I'm, I'm the less of the least of all the Lord's people. And Paul's not being fake humble here either, right? Because not only was he a moral and spiritual train wreck before Jesus, but according to his other letters, he wasn't much to look at physically either. According to some New Testament scholars, they predict he was maybe around five foot two. Some of you guys are like, yes, right. <laughs> yeah. For people like me that lied on my driver's license for a long time as how old I was, I'm like, all right, I don't need to, I need to get over that. All right. But, but like in places like 2 Corinthians 9, he hints at the fact that it was very likely that he had some sort of physical disability or handicap. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I don't claim to be much of a speaker either. So play the comparison game with Paul, and we end up looking, well, pretty good. But Paul went to the Gentiles because he knew that God had told him to, and he knew that God could use even him. See, confidence in Christ means we step out when he leads, not when we feel ready. So many times, guys, like I, I've been in a situation where I feel like God says, I want you to, to talk about me with that person or start something new or lead something or pray for someone. And my first thought, almost always, I'm afraid to say, is like, well, can I do it? My first reaction is to look and say, do I have the abilities or the experience to actually do this? That's where I go for my confidence. But Christ never asked us to be his church in our power. In fact, that's pretty weak. Ours is. But even after all his success, I mean, after three missionary journeys of, of seeing countless people come to Christ, Paul is still doesn't trust in his own power. But instead, he says, we've been given the boundless riches in Christ to serve him. That word boundless means that like our vast earth, it's too vast for any one person to explore. Or like the ocean, it's too deep for us to fully fathom. That's what's available to us in Christ. And in the same spirit whose power rose Christ from the dead dwells within us unites us, works through us as his church. I mean, does that boggle anybody else's minds? It certainly does mine. And I think one of the best ways that we can encourage one another as a church in this is, is to find ways to share the stories of the ways that God has been working through us. Like, I wish we had time to, to get them up here and actually tell these stories. But this last Saturday, I went to uh, the, uh, the Welch's small group. And right before I'd gone there, they had gone out um, into Lawrence and just decided that they're going to see if God leads them to pray for anybody there in that city. And John Janowski, he doesn't mind that I'm sharing this. All right. Right, John? You don't mind. Good. All right. <laughs> He, God led him up to somebody. I won't share your story if you don't give me permission, all right? I don't want anybody afraid that I'm going to start just sharing stories here, okay? But I know John's cool with this. Because he, right in the middle of this park in Lawrence, he went up to a guy 
and asks him, he says, hey man, like, can I pray for you? And the guy says, well, I do have some pain in my body. And so he prayed for him. And the guy actually in that moment began to feel better. But then John says, well, do you know who Jesus is? He says, this is the power of Jesus, man. This is not me. And he began to pray for this guy. And this guy ended up receiving Christ right there in the middle of this park. And yeah, like, and my reaction as I'm hearing the story is, no offense, John. If God can use John, God can use me too, right? <laughs> right? And he was quick to say, like, it's not me. This is Jesus. This is God's power working in and through me. He says, all I did was take the step. And these kinds of stories are meant to encourage us that we share these testimonies. It doesn't have to be like these big things like that. Sometimes it's just like, I didn't know what to do because my kid was going through a hard thing and I prayed and asked God and he showed me what to say. How to parent my kid. Like sometimes it's just those. But that's not just a thing either. That's the power of God working through his church. That we can learn to lean on him and depend on him as his people. Man, if you belong to Christ, you are not insignificant. You're a child of God. But one more time, I can imagine the church in Ephesus coming back and saying, okay, Paul, like I get it, man. Christ loves his church, so we're never alone. If he gives his life, then how could we ever be alone? I appreciate that. You know, but on top of that, Paul, I understand you're saying that, that even when we feel weak, like his power does it. But I got one more thing. What about when the church itself fails, Paul? Because I know that we have all these external things, but what about when the church itself falls into sin? What about when we fail to love people like you call us to? What, if, what about those kinds? Paul, you keep calling us holy saints in Christ, but <laughs> have you seen us? So Paul affirms one more thing. That even when we fail, remember, Christ will accomplish his purpose through his church. Now, I'm going to get real here. I, I love the church. Like, I told, as I've told you before, my name, Kirk, literally means church. Like, so I'm not sure what that's about with God. But, like, I, and, and, and there are a few things that give me as much joy as seeing the people of God alive in faith and being who God has called them to be. I love it. But, man, these last few years, I've had several moments where I've felt discouraged. Because I'm so tired of reading the headlines and seeing another national Christian leader fought having some sort of moral failing. I'm so tired of looking across social media and seeing Christians with internal arguments, bitterness, people using the name of Jesus in vain to justify whatever agenda of their choice. I've met Christians who have left the church or on the edge of it. And sometimes the church of Jesus looks like a mature bride of Christ. And sometimes, man, we look like a little girl who has a lot of growing up to do. And when I get discouraged, I sometimes act like a girl who has a lot of growing up to do. So, so much for my high horse. But while we all have growing to do, Jesus will never give up on his church. 
And Paul declares that just as he was made a messenger of the gospel of Jesus, God has made it plain to the church that we are ambassadors or stewards of that same gospel which God revealed in Christ. And when the creator of the universe could have chosen any way he wanted to accomplish his purpose through Christ, instead he wanted a bunch of people like us to to him, people like Paul, that we might be his church. And he says in verse 10 that his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom. Now, manifold has become one of my favorite words because manifold means multicolored. Isn't that beautiful? Multicolored. It's like how you would describe a coat of many colors, perhaps. Why? Because look across. We are a people of many colors, races, nations, ethnicities, aren't we? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known, not just on earth, but even to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, this blew my mind. Because when we talk about the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, it seems that who he's talking about are the angels and the created intelligences across heaven. Do you realize that they are not, they don't know everything. But God, it says in 1 Peter 2, it says that even they long to look at what God is doing across history. They weren't given prior knowledge to everything. But that God has revealed to his church that it's through the proclamation of the church that not only is God's plan revealed to the earth, but even across the heavens. Is that not mind-blowing? Like, because the goal of God, he said from the beginning of this letter, chapter 1, verse 10, is that all things would be in and under Christ. That God is uniting all things in him. And so it is that through Christ, he is uniting a people of all nations, colors, and tongues into community with Christ, unity with Christ, and then working through us as his church to declare his goodness across the earth until he makes all things right. Like, that's the grand plan. That's the grand plan. And so it says right here that the revelation of the gospel has been given to the church, the new covenant community in Christ, so that through the church, his eternal, grand, jaw-dropping purposes may be accomplished in Christ. So by our faith in Christ, Christ is in us, so that the world may see Christ through us, his church. And if God promised to never give up on his church, how can we? So when we're tempted to feel defeated, remember, God is committed to fulfill his purposes through his church. And he said all that so that in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Is that not amazing?